1: Hello, TSF family, and welcome to Episode 8, Season 5 of this Spiritual Fix. Today we are doing our distributed series on astrology. We are going to be talking about ascending signs and Venus, as well as the houses. Enjoy! This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self help game. With Anna Strongquist and Christina Wiltsy. Hello, Anna. Hey,
0: Christina. You're doing your fake voice.
1: I'm doing my putting my energy into sounding like I'm not sick right now.
0: Show everybody how you really sounded two minutes ago. I, I, I talked like this, right?
1: <laughs> Something yeah, <like> this. <laughs> but no need to I can I can You can perform on command. <laughs> I can perform on command. I've spent a lifetime mastering that skill. So, it's all good. It's all good. How have you been?
0: I've been good. How about you? Uh-huh. Uh, I guess that's a stupid question. You just told me you're sick, but
1: <laughs> Well, no, that doesn't determine my experience. In some ways, like it kind of does obviously because it's like a natural part of everything. I have to I have to say that I've had a lot of alien abduction dreams recently tell me about that. Well, I just, I, before we get into the actual prelude, I just thought it was interesting. And I was actually, if anybody listening to this has also been having ones, then that's something that I would love to hear. Basically the last night I had one where I was like at a basketball game and all of a sudden this like magnetic field came down and froze everybody. And, and I was the only, I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to succumb to this. Right. So I like ran away and I hid in a janitor's closet. And then when I came out, everyone else had been killed. had been like slaughtered,
0: slaughtered. So
1: they were malicious aliens. There've been a lot of those recently. So who knows what's in my consciousness. Hopefully it's not now in everybody else's consciousness. Just, just brush away the thought.
0: Yeah. I had an alien abduction dream and you were in it. And I think even Robbie was there but they were benevolent. And I remember being like, yeah, I know, I know you guys.
1: <laughs> I know you guys. We're cool. We're cool. You saw Avatar last night? Yeah, did you see it? I haven't seen it. No, I never saw the original ones. I think I was living in New Zealand at the time that they came out, so I really missed the whole like fervor around it.
0: I think you were weren't they filmed in New Zealand? Or no.
1: No, I think that was Lord of the Rings yeah
0: yeah we went and saw it yesterday and in 3d no less yeah and um is is amazing and it was sad because it was a lot about themes of colonialism and you know imperialism and destruction of indigenous cultures and animals you know for progression in quotes and, um, this one beautiful animal they slaughter just to get Amrita, which I thought was interesting. Did you want <laughs> to explain
1: to everybody what Amrita is? Well, my understanding of Amrita comes from an understanding of Tantra in which the female ejaculate <laughs> is called Amrita, right? So basically, it's like that it's a goddess in in the in the Hindu pantheon in which she is bestowed upon those who like are in touch and are able to like release the kind of fluid of her like she's like a blessing and so it's the reason why people who are biologically female may experience like having to pee after having an orgasm that's Amrita that just hasn't been allowed to release during the actual act of an orgasm but afterwards Right. And then I
0: think they say that amniotic fluid is Amrita. Like it's the juice with which we're all born.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Or yeah. so, so all what are living. they harvesting? What are they harvesting exactly?
0: Well, they're not we- harvesting. They're slaughtering these beautiful wild animals to get Amrita. Let's just say that. And then okay. you told me that the movie is getting a lot of criticism because of its you know, white savior thing, which, you know, if you remember seeing the movie, The Last Samurai or The Last of the Mohicans or just like so many movies about indigenous or, or, you know, cultures with strong ties to ancestors, then the white man comes in and saves everybody. And so there's a lot of criticism about that.
1: It exists there in in the movie, The Help and even in Hidden Figures, like even more recent movies, The White Savior The thing is, it's very prevalent, right? Where it's like, oh, Dangerous Minds is like the classic example, even though that was obviously the 90s, of like the white teacher coming in and helping these kids because they couldn't help themselves otherwise. And I think there was a lot of controversy too around James Cameron did an interview back in 2010, right after the first Avatar came out. And he said something along the lines of, "If, if the Lakota Sioux had seen what was to become of their people in this day and time, they would have fought harder. And it's like, if you read a fucking lick about anything that the Lakota Sioux did to try and like take back the black Hills to try and do anything along those lines, like you would know that they, they, they just fought so hard. It's so ridiculous to make that comment because it obviously proves that you have not, Educated yourself. And he's making so much money off of, you know, stories that are basically a a conglomerate of all these different appropriated kind of cultural things. And he's making it into a mishmash of one thing, which then, like, you know, is like, oh, it's this fictional thing that I'm just gonna pull all these other indigenous things in. And then I'm not even gonna educate myself about how the indigenous experience colonialism you can understand why people are pissed and why people are boycotting it. So I I don't know if I'm purposely boycotting it for that reason, but I think that if I see it, I'm not gonna actually spend money on a movie ticket, even if it would be, yeah, I just, I I never even thought about it until this very moment. So I hadn't actually made a decision about that until just now, but now I've like riled myself up enough that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I feel like is the right thing to do. I mean, I'm the, you know, like I've gone to Crazy Horse the Crazy Horse monument have you ever been there Anna No yeah the Crazy Horse monument exists in the Black Hills and when it's done it will be the largest monument hand like a carved monument I think I think in the world I do want to check myself slightly on that and I'll put it in the show notes but you know it's it was it was created in direct opposition to Mount Rushmore because the Black Hills were promised in treaty to the Lakota Sioux. And then the white man found gold there and then just decided to completely take it back. Not only did they go back on their treaty, but then they decided to carve the faces of the US presidents into the one of the most sacred sites of the Lakota Sioux. Like how ridiculous can you get <laughs> like as So Crazy Horse is this beautiful thing in which it's been being built for 60, 70 years now, like a very long time because they refuse to accept money, federal funding for it. So it's just this one family and whatever money they can get from anybody who donates to the cause and anybody who visits all goes towards like slowly trying to do this. So like, it's supposed to be a whole body that's like pointing towards, he says, he says, my lands are where my, where my people are buried it's, it's like a tribute to kind of that quote of crazy horses, but like the only thing that's really been done is his face. Right. And, you know, if you go to South Dakota, if you're going towards the Black Hills area, I would recommend visiting Crazy Horse and not Mount Rushmore.
0: Wow. I mean, that's the common theme that you see is, you know, it's something that you see a lot in history with religious or cultural dominance is to assert your well, it's to assert the place, right? So like, in Mexico, there are so many cathedrals and churches that the Spanish built right on top of Mayan ruins or pyramids, you know, and then I believe that, that one of the reasons why the Jews and the Muslims fight so much is that they have buildings built on top of each other on the Wailing Wall. And
1: it's just, it's just a thing, right? Like, it's like, it's, it's a thing. Dominance of Patriarchal religions trying to dominate each other, and then patriarchal religions trying to dominate matriarchal religions. Right. I mean, that's kind of a vast statement. Like, obviously, there's a lot more nuance to it, but yeah.
0: Well, moving right along into the theme of today is we're going to be talking about astrology. And I'm looking at James Cameron's astrology chart and I'm like, oh, well, it makes sense according to his chart, like why he does what he does. He's got a lot of Leo influence in his charts and Leos are creators and they try to create things and then his Venus is in Libra. And so there's a lot of love for humanity and justice, even though he might not have done it in the right way, like those themes are popping up in his work. So I think it's appropriate looking at his chart that he that he has what he has and today we are going to be doing part 2 of our astrology series. <laughs> what did what did you like about the first episode the first one?
1: Chris? I loved I loved learning more about the stuff that isn't just the regular sun sign which is the stuff that I've known since I was a kid. I really appreciate that. And it was a really popular episode. A lot of people gave us a lot of really good feedback. And so I had, I had a a good friend of ours be like, wait, I was so confused because you started the series and then you went into this other series. And it's like, well, if you hearken back to the first series that we had, we did our NLP episodes over periods of time. And that's what Anna's doing with this series is that it's like this astrology series is going to be over periods of time. Sprinkled. Yes. Sprinkled because it's lighthearted more. So it's not necessarily deep shadow work. It's just like, Educational about my identity sort of thing, which is like a fun thing to do. And so i I loved I loved learning it myself. I loved hearing the feedback from everybody else, and I wanted to just put in that little piece of clarification because I'd gotten that question a couple of times.
0: Okay. Well, if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend like just stopping this episode and going back and listening to the second episode of the fifth season. So episode 5.02, I will link it in the notes and just go back and like listen to that. But I'm going to repeat a couple of the things I said on that episode, which is basically that today we're talking about astrology, but we're not going to be talking about it in the sense of your sun sign. So most people are very familiar with their sun sign. That's where the sun was in the moment that you were born. And Basically you have the big three, which are the big three determinants of your personality are your ascendant, your sun sign and your moon sign. We're not talking about the sun or the moon sign today. And last time we talked about Mars and Mercury. And what I want to clarify here is that your true astrology chart is a snapshot of where all the planets were in the moment that you were born that twins have very similar charts but not exact and that's a lot i think that's why in twin studies where twins are adopted and then they meet up years later they have so many similarities we could say it's genetics i would like to say that it is a lot to do with astrology as well but that being said that you are different than every other Aquarius in the world or every other Leo in the world, because all the planets were in different places at different times. And then they travel through things called the houses. And so last episode, when I talked about astrology, we focused on Mars and Mercury. Mars is the planet of action and Mercury is the planet of communication and thinking. And I talked a lot about retrograde and what happens during retrograde. Now, in astrology, there's something called the big three. It's your ascendant, your sun sign, and your moon sign. And they call that the big three because those have the most prominent influence on your life. And so most people who are new to astrology are going to know what their big three are, right? And it's a great kind of Conversation topic and a lot of people know it. Like one of my favorite things, I was in a restaurant one day and I said to the lady serving us, "I said, do you know anything about astrology?" She goes, "Yeah." I said, "Is your ascendant Sagittarius?" By the way, she goes, "Oh my god, it is!" You know, like I like when people know their big three. It's really fun to just kind of guess it and talk about it and all that jazz. But today, once again, we're not talking about the big three because I kind of want to give you more nuanced stuff because I feel like you can find big three stuff anywhere. Today we're talking about Venus and one of the big threes, which is the ascendant. And the reason why I'm including the ascendant when we talk about Venus, the planet of love, is that your ascendant has a lot to do with who you fall in love with and who was attracted to you. So I thought, I thought this episode will be about love and relationships. And so it's fitting to include ascendant when we talk about Venus.
1: That sounds awesome.
0: And we're not going to talk about Venus in retrograde because as I said in the previous episode, Mars and Mercury go into retrograde more often because their planetary orbit is smaller, but Venus only goes into retrograde every year and a half. So it's, it's not that common and Venus will be in retrograde for 40 days and 40 nights. And I don't feel like it has that big of an influence. So we're just not going to talk about retrograde today, but I will fill in the time that I would have talked about retrograde, I'm going to talk instead about the houses a little bit. So,
1: Oh, that's awesome. But also just total me sequitur, right? Of course, of interesting thing of that, even if it's not the Venus retrograde, I feel like the Venus cycles around like the number of days it takes to Venus to go around the sun is like kind of important right like we've like in other things like you see it pop up all sorts of different places so it's interesting because like Mars and Mercury retrograde are very important Venus work retrograde isn't as much but I feel like the cycle of how long well, it takes Venus to go around the sun is like a very important thing it's just well like it is
0: thing. important because it's like when your past lovers seek you out or when you start dreaming about your ex again is like Venus in retrograde so I mean it is important oh. but Um, For the sake of this episode, we're going to talk about other stuff, I think. Right, right. Cool. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the ascendant first. So your your ascendant is also called your rising sign. And it's basically where the sun was on the horizon in the moment you were born. So a very easy way to remember this is there's 12 signs of the zodiac. There's 24 hours in the day. So at sunrise, like let's say you're an Aries and you were born at sunrise, you're going to have an Aries ascendant. So those two hours of sunrise is Aries. And then it moves towards Taurus. And so by sunset, it's going to be the exact opposite, the opposite of Aries being Libra. It'll be Libra. So if you don't even know what time you were born, but you have a general idea, like I was born at sunrise, then your ascendant is the same sign as your sun sign. Right? So like both of my children were born at 7 30 AM. So both my children have their ascendant in their sun sign. Right. Right. so so that's just a way to remember it like if someone just tells you off the top of their head oh I, I was born at 4 pm then you know okay well they're born a sign or two before their opposite sign right you can kind of calculate it in your head but you want to look at an astrology chart to make sure so if you haven't done so already I want you just to take a moment and pull up the internet and go look and see where your ascendant is you're going to need to know your time of birth and your place of birth to do this and Hold on.
1: It's interesting because I feel like there's the cafe astrology, but it doesn't give you your ascendant in that chart. It gives you like all the other houses. It gives you all the degrees, but it doesn't give you your ascendant, which is always strange. So
0: what I want to say is there's a lot of astrology charts out there and some of them require an email to find out more information. I find that astro.cafeastrology.com is a great free resource and I'm going to link it in the show notes because it doesn't ask you for your email. They're not going to spam you with stuff and they will give you your ascendant. So right now, if you get a chance,
1: I think I just said they don't give you your ascendant astro. I'm pretty sure it doesn't that cafe astrology. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay.
0: So if you go to astro.cafeastrology.com. You can get a free one. You can just Google search for a free one, but I've just noticed a lot of them are going to ask for emails or they're not going to give you like everything you want to see. So what I want you to do right now, before we start this episode is to look up your astrology chart. And I want you to look at three different things. I want you to see where your ascendant is. If you know your time of birth, hopefully you do. I want you to see where your Venus is. And I want you to see what is the name of the house that your Venus planet is in. So it'll be in one of 12 houses. Now, if you don't know what your ascendant is and you don't want to listen to all this, skip ahead about 30 minutes because we're going to talk about your Venus sign. Because I do feel bad for those of you who don't know your birth time. You will not know what your ascendant is. Now, Going into the ascendant, the ascendant sign, as I said, has to do with the position of the sun on the horizon at the moment you were born. And it's also called your rising sign. And so some people like Freudian theory says that when it comes to the big three, you have your id, your ego, and your superego. And that corresponds to the sun, the moon, and the ascendant, right? So with the ascendant, this is the, the kind of mask version of you. It's kind of the sign that you interact with other people. It's it's the aspect of you with which you attract others or you are attracted to others. And it's, it's like the first face you put on And it also can determine your physical features, okay? So when you meet someone and you think they're this sign, but they're not, it could very well be that you're tapping into their ascendant, which is going to be the most prominent thing that they reveal themselves. One thing to keep in mind is that if someone's ascendant is the same sign as their moon, it means they wear their heart on their sleeve, that there's really no distinction between between who they really are on the inside and who they're showing the world. And that can be true also. If your sun sign is the same as your ascendant, you're going to just, you be very integrated, right? You're not going to have the face that you show the world. And then your other face, it's just all one face. Like a great example of this is my daughter is a triple Scorpio, her sun, her moon, and her rising are all in the same sign. And because of it, she, she has, she can't lie. She's incapable of lying and whatever she feels, you're going to know immediately. So people who don't have the same ascendant as their sun or moon might have different versions of themselves, you know, like I'm a Sagittarius rising, which is very compatible with the fact that I'm a Leo, but it's not, but it's like who I show the world isn't always who I really am. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah.
0: All right. So going into the astrology and the ascendance, this is really important. Okay. Whatever sign your ascendant is becomes your chart ruler, okay? What that means to say is that each sign has a planet that they rule, and now that planet becomes the most important planet in your chart. So for example, if your ascendant is in Aries, Aries rules Mars, Wherever Mars is in your chart, it's like we've turned the volume up on the dial. Okay. So, a lot of times, what happens is your chart ruler is running the show in your chart. It's like the volume is turned up the highest on that aspect. And so, you really, really have so much to do with that. So, is that making sense?
1: It does. Can I give you an example? Yes. To to help. So, my daughter has her sun in Sag, her moon in Virgo, and her ascendant is Cancer. Okay. So her ascendant
0: is in cancer. Cancer rules the moon. Her moon is going to be the most prominent thing in her chart,
1: which is very true, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is very true. Okay. And so then if I were to do
0: you, for example, yeah. your ascendant is in, is in Taurus. So
1: Venus is the most prominent planet in your chart. Right. Which also makes sense. It's My son, his his ascendant is in Taurus so again Venus so again Venus so Aries is his is his dominant thing even though he's a Taurus he's Mm -hmm. a cusp Taurus Gemini right and that makes a lot of sense because he is like 100% just like yes ramming forward with his own intention (laughs)
0: Right. So I'm going to go from in the order from the first to the last sign and just tell you what your chart ruler is. Okay. So if you have an Aries ascendant, your chart ruler is Mars. So where your, your Mars aspect is very important. Go back and listen to episode 5.2. If your ascendant is Taurus, your chart ruler is Venus. This, this means that this episode is extremely important to you. Okay. We're talking about Venus today. If your ascendant is in Gemini, your chart ruler is Mercury. Again, go back and listen to episode 5.2. We talk so much about Mercury placements. If your ascendant is in Cancer, your chart ruler is Moon. Your Moon sign is the strongest influence in your chart. If your ascendant is Leo, your Sun sign is extremely prominent in your chart. That means when you do read those daily horoscopes, those those 12 options, that one's actually going to sound like you. If your ascendant is in Virgo, Mercury is your chart ruler. Go back and listen to episode 5.2 because Mercury has a very strong hold on your life. If your ascendant is in Libra, similar to Taurus, your chart ruler is Venus. If your ascendant is Scorpio, then your chart ruler is Pluto, but that's according to modern astrology. Before they discovered Pluto, Mars is going to be your chart ruler. If Sagittarius is your ascendant, then Jupiter is the most prominent thing in your chart. We're going to get to that in other episodes. If Capricorn is your ascendant, then Saturn is your chart ruler. If Aquarius is your ascendant, then Uranus in modern astrology is your chart ruler. And then according to traditional astrology, Saturn is. And then if Pisces is your ascendant, then Neptune in modern astrology is going to be your chart ruler and Jupiter in traditional astrology and we will get to those outer planets on another day okay but we just we just I just wanted to set this up so you know how important ascendants are in your chart
1: right so and everyone has one right like they all map to a single planet right like they no- there's no- nothing other than like in the old traditional astrology where you had people doubling up in theory there are enough signs with enough never mind you no know because... what I'm trying to say yeah
0: no because well I think I know what you're saying but like Mars Mercury I'm sorry Virgo and Gemini ascendants both have Mercury Libra and Taurus both have Venus so like there's some commonalities and and it's not one for one
1: okay there's nine
0: planets and 12 at okay that
1: helped me pivot the table in my head thank you
0: yeah that's what I meant to say okay so now moving right along we're gonna now talk about the importance of your ascendant in terms of love. So whatever your ascendant is, there is something called polarity. So that is to say that opposites attract, right? So in astrology, you have polar opposites. So whatever the sign is, you have an opposite sign. It's like they're two sides to the same coin. Let's start with Aries. They're two sides of the same coin. Aries is all about self and me and me and me. And Libra is very similar to Aries in so many ways, but they're about us, 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 okay? If you look at, say, Taurus and Scorpio, they're polar opposites. Taurus is all about possessiveness of material possessions. Scorpio is possessive of emotional possessions, okay? So I just want you to see how they're like opposite, but they're on the same coin, Okay. So with that being said, whatever your ascendant is, is going to determine who you are attracted to because of polar opposites. Opposites attract. Some people will even say that your ascendant will determine your soulmate. Okay. So if you have an Aries ascendant, then you are polarly oppositely attracted to Libras. You're going to be attracted to people who are a Libra or have a lot of Libra influence in their chart or have a dominant Venus, right? Because That's the planet they rule. So if your ascendant is Aries, you're going to be attracted to Libras and vice versa. Libra ascendant will be attracted to Aries. If you have a Taurus ascendant, you're going to be attracted to Scorpios. And if you have a Scorpio ascendant, you will be attracted to Taurus. These are like the passionate high chemistry relationships. Maybe not always the healthiest, but it's definitely going to create polarity and attraction. Okay. Going into Gemini. Gemini's polar opposite is Sagittarius. That's where they're going to have a lot of that passionate chemistry. Cancer and Capricorn are opposites. So, again, they're going to fall for each other. Capricorn ascendants will fall for people with Cancer influences in their chart. Cancer ascendants will fall for people with Capricorn influences in their chart. The opposite of Leo is Aquarius. So, people with a Leo ascendant are going to fall for Aquarius's. Aquarius ascendant people are going to fall for Leos. And then we'll end on Virgo, Virgo ascendants are going to fall for Pisces and Pisces ascendant people are going to fall for Virgos. So just know if you're looking for chemistry and opposites attract kind of vibe, like that is going to help you understand who is a good partner for you. And I can tell you from personal experience that, that although I get along the most romantically with other fire signs, cause I have a lot of fire in my chart. My Ascendant is Sagittarius and therefore I have r- good sexual chemistry with other air signs, right? Gemini, Libra, things like that.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Cause I think, I think when you say it's a good partner, I think it's good to caveat and be like that, that there are, <laughs> maybe I'm just saying this because my husband and I don't actually match up at all. His Ascendant is Sag and my Ascendant is Taurus. So that means that I match with, he matches with a Gemini and I match with, oh my God, I can't even remember what does Taurus match with. The, the opposite, opposite of Taurus, Taurus
0: would be Scorpio. Scorpio. Yeah.
1: But look, I have a Scorpio moon.
0: <laughs> I mean, not, not, not that we're sexually have a sexual relationship, but you get along with, right? Yeah. Maybe I'm your soulmate, not Luke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes you will find just kidding that funny. <laughs> we can grasp
0: that thr- i mean it's so easy to grasp at straws in astrology and like find yeah. things that work but i'm sure there's a reason why you and luke are compatible like my husband is not a gemini well here's the funny thing actually is that my ascendant is sagittarius the opposite sign being gemini would be my soulmate guess where my husband's venus is in
1: gemini hmm yeah
0: we're like, have a really good chart match because we're both fire signs. We understand each other in that way. His moon sign is my sun sign. So his innermost him understands my outermost me. And then his Venus is in polarity with my
1: ascendant. So it's
0: like, you know, do you
1: see what I'm saying? It's like there. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to say is that like these people, that might be one thing that makes it so that someone's a good partner for you there could be like a lot of other things but in terms of like sexual chemistry, yeah
0: yeah people have so many different dynamics right but like if you notice that you chronically fall for this fuck boy who happens to be whatever you know these they're always air signs or they're always whatever it might have a lot to do with your ascendant let's just say that nice all right now Moving into ascendants, we're going to talk a little bit about what ascendants look like, because this is going to determine like how you come across in the world. And it's, it's like the mask and the best face that you put forward when you meet people, right? So what is really cool, and I'm going to link it in the show notes, is this website that has grouped all of these celebrities according to their rising signs. And it's once you kind of see this collage of like, you know 20 celebrities that have aries rising you're like oh my god i see the similarities it's really cool when you see them all together because you can really see what it's talking about so i'm going to link that in the show notes so you can see because some of the names i'm going to mention here and i'm not na- mentioning these names to name drop or because we're a gossipy kind of podcast i'm i'm using these names here because we all kind of have in our mind an idea of what they look like so, typically, Aries have a pugnacious, upturned button nose and almost a baby face. So, we have Stevie Nicks, Barbara Streisand, Bette Midler, Shakira. Okay. You all know what they look like, and you can see that they have some similarities. They can often have childlike faces, with, and they can also be accident prone. They can hit their head a lot because Aries rolls the head. And these people have an overzealous passion about life. So they're pretty much up for anything, okay? They can also come across as impatient, aggressive, or bossy. As, as I live with someone with an Aries rising, and that last part is very true. <laughs> All right, going into Taurus. People who have Taurus rising, this would be Christina. People with Taurus rising any, okay, people with Taurus rising or Libra rising since they're ruled by the planet Venus are going to be very, very symmetrical and beautiful. Think of like Greek goddess kind of look. And if you know Christina, that's like a very accurate portrayal. She's very symmetrical and gracefully beautiful, okay? So people with Taurus rising have a gentle gaze. They're considered to have cow eyes. Like I'm putting that in quotes. Like they have like <laughs> um, like very emotionally pretty Eyes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They have a practical approach to life and they have a strong work ethic. They can be stubborn and they can be loyal, stubborn, and cautious. So, like I said before, they're usually conventionally attractive with square jaws, symmetrical features. And we have Gigi Hadid, Dennis Richards, Denise, Gian- Miley Cyrus, Melanie Griffith, Camilla Cabello, and Mariah Carey are some examples. This yeah. website only gave females. I'm sorry to the men listeners, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny you say that. Cause I think of them all as having like the kind of square jaws and I, I can totally see that. Yeah. Like a
0: soft face, but with squarish features. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's interesting. All right. We got Gemini here. Gemini ascendants are very playful And they can usually be spotted because they're very communicative. They have an animated way of talking. They can't necessarily sit still. They may not have ADHD, but they sure as hell are going to look like it. They can be very flirty, impulsive, and seductive. Like, not seductive in the sensual way, but in the, like, hey, I want to get to know you. Hey, 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 tell me all about you. What you thinking? You know, that kind of way. And they typically have long faces and a very and very and a, and a very expressive face. And some examples of them are Rihanna, Lady Gaga, Kristen Stewart, Kelly Osborne, and Amy Winehouse. Okay, Cancer ascendants. I think these ones are like really super easy to to notice when you know how they look because since Cancer is the sign of the Moon, they're going to have very Moon-like faces. They have like I can't explain it, but they have like lunar. Like they they kind of glow like the moon. It's this very soft, feminine way about them. Angelina Jolie has a cancer ascendant. She's like the quintessential one. She has a very luminous face, right? Cameron Diaz, Cindy Crawford, Cher, Farrah Fawcett. If you see all of them lined up in this collage, like I'm talking about, you're going to recognize the similarities. Kate Hudson, Lauren Bacall, Julia Roberts. My daughter. Your daughter. Yeah. They often have round and deep eyes. And very empathetic, very emotional, love the home. Okay, if your rising sign is Leo, then one of the things they say is the easiest to spot in you is your mane of lion hair. Which I think is hilarious because my husband, who is now bald, when he has a Leo rising. But when I look back at all his photos, he had like literally a mane of hair. like oh, wow. He, yeah, like <laughs> he even had a perm, I think, at one point or something. It was like flowing.
1: Oh my God, I've never seen these long pictures. Long
0: hair. <laughs> gorgeous long hair, which eventually went away. But yeah, they're the ones who always want to have a selfie. They love their physical appearance and they're very warm and outgoing they don't mind, you know, being the the center of attention. So some, some people who have Leo rising, they have similar features, Marilyn Monroe, the Olsen twins, Jennifer Lopez, Brittany Murphy, Tina Turner, Katie Holmes, Taylor Swift, Kate Moss. Are you seeing the similarities? They have like this confidence about them, almost like a mousy look, you know, like anyways, but not in a bad way. Okay. Virgo rising. People who have a Virgo rising are going to be prim, proper, and well-defined. They have a subtle beauty to them. They're going to have softer facial features, and some might even say they have the resting bitch face. They are are very caregiving. They're very prim and proper, like they always look showered, clean. Some celebrities with this placement are Shirley McLean, Sharon Stone, Emma Watson, Uma Thurman, Okay.
1: Oh, no. Like, I mean, like some of the other ones, like you're absolutely right, like Marion Cotillard, Elizabeth Banks, Shannon Doherty, like, yeah, they totally all Renee Zellweger. Oh yeah. My God, they all have kind of that really stern looking resting face without saying it's, resting bitch face. Yes.
0: Yes. It's amazing. All right. Here's Libra rising again. Libra risings are going to be very similar to Taurus rising, right? we have Anna Nicole Smith, Kim Cattrall, Britney Spears, Dua Lipa, Doja Cat, Beyonce, very symmetrical, very like classic beauty. Right. And they're, they're conventionally attractive, but they have a lot of problems making decisions. They don't like to form judgments right away. And they're really good at mediating other people's conflict, not necessarily their own. Scorpio rising. I feel like the, the the quintessential example of a Scorpio rising is Wednesday Adams, right? Like I can pretty much spot Scorpio risings pretty well because they have a, a certain look. They have the Scorpio stare. They have a way of looking at you that pierces through your soul. And like in their teenage years, they'll probably go through a goth stage, you know? So these are some celebrities that have Scorpio rising Bjork. George Harrison, Grace Kelly, Nicole Kidman, Katy Perry. I don't know if that's like helping to understand, but they their their eyes are really, really piercing to the soul. Like I feel like that's a great example. And they have like a freshness about them. You know, I, I can't
1: explain. Like I don't, I don't have any fucks to give sort of look about them.
0: Yeah, they're yeah, like I give no fucks, maybe. Maybe that's the look I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Sagittarius rising this would be me they have their eyes and their eyebrows are usually the most prominent feature of their face and they have a large forehead and usually like a pronounced butt which is so funny Jessica Beale is like a quintessential Sagittarius rising and this is funny I was watching Stranger Things and I was looking at Winona Ryder and I'm like this woman has Sag rising I just know it and I google it and sure enough she does because Winona Ryder is like such a great example of Sag Rising. She has her eyes are very dark and pronounced and big, and they're like the central feature of her face. So, other examples of Sag Rising would be Anne Hathaway, Angelica Houston, Bridget Bardot, Bridget Fonda, Caff Jones, Coco Chanel. And if you think about them, their eyes really are like the central characteristic of their face. These people are more likely prone to word vomiting and bluntness because we don't necessarily think before we speak, love to travel, love to learn and grow. Okay, Capricorn rising, these people are very neat and tidy, and they're very similar to Virgo risings because they are going to look clean and put together, but Capricorns are a little more elegant, whereas Virgos are a little more caregiving, if that makes any sense. Um, they're big on tradition rules and structure and some physical examples of what a Capricorn rising looks like is Zoe Deschanel, Dakota Johnson, Megan Fox, Naomi Campbell, Monica Bellucci. So I don't know if that helps, but Carrie Fisher, another one. No, it does. It does. I think it makes. if you sense. see the collage and you see them all lined up, it makes more sense. So check out that in the show notes if this interests you. Yeah. All right. Aquarius. Aquarius always comes across as cool and shockable they're like I'm gonna dye my hair blue but not because I care what you think you know but they care what you think no offense Aquarius but you but they really liked kind of like yes that be is different. my
1: husband with his massive he's almost going into his Leo so he's got this massive mane of hair and he always just likes to do something shocking with it
0: yeah yeah Aquarius is love to be different than everybody else and so they're going to be the ones with the 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 hair dyed, they like to be a weirdo. They want to be a weirdo and they're really interested in social injustice. Some examples of people with Aquarius rising would be Chloe Kardashian, Christina Aguilera, Chelsea Handler, Billy Holiday, Selena, Madonna, David Bowie, David Bowie, Nicki Minaj, Amy Polar, Leanne Rimes, Matt Dillon, like there's just so many in this list. Okay. Moving into Pisces, people with Pisces ascendants are empathetic. They have a soft aura. They have a dreamy appearance with round eyes and long lashes that reveal the depths of their soul. They are true empaths. They have an innate healing power, and they see beauty in the world. They see the, the esoteric, beautiful, mystical in the world. These people have a soft look about them. Examples would be... Amanda Bynes, I feel like she's such a good example of a Pisces rising. Ashley Simpson, Demi Moore, Mena Suvari, Whitney Houston, Rosemary Clooney. I don't know. Are you seeing the, the, there's very similarities. Like, there are, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, those are some great examples. So, In a nutshell, those were the ascendants and now we're going to move into Venus. So hopefully that helps you understand how you come across to the world, why people are attracted to you, why you're attracted to others. We'll move into Venus. Is there anything to add to that? No, sounds good. Okay. Are we like really taking forever? It's okay.
1: We're okay. I think. Yeah. I think we're okay. Okay. All right. I feel like I'm talking way too much. Okay. You have to. That's the nature of it. I don't know anything about this. So,
0: all right, now we're going to talk about your Venus. So if you remember from last time I talked about astrology, you have Mars which has to do with your work ethic and your energy. You have your Mercury, which has to do with the planet of communication and thinking. And then we have Venus, which is the planet of love. And so where your Venus is, is going to determine how you love and what you love. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what it means according to what house it's in. Now, if you don't know what house it's in, because you don't have your ascendant to know the houses, you have to know your ascendant because it lines up the chart and that's okay. So if you haven't already look at your little note where you wrote down earlier, where your Venus is, and we're going to talk now about this planet. So Venus is the planet of love. You know, think Venus is Aphrodite. It's the planet of love and romance. It's how you love, how what you love, how you show up in romantic relationships. So just to remind you from before, if a planet is in the home of its natural owner, it's called its in domicile, which means it expresses itself very well there. If it's in an exalted position, it not only expresses itself well there, it's like the A++ student, like it's even more exalted, right? If it's in detriment, it means that it is... The opposite of domicile, meaning it struggles to express itself in that sign. And if it's in its fall, then it's like really, really, really fucking struggles in that sign. Okay. So we're going to go from Aries through Pisces in order of each of the signs. And I will just kind of call out if it's in detriment, domicile, whatever. Okay. So starting with Aries, Aries is in detriment in Venus, which is to say it's going to struggle a lot in love. And that kind of makes sense because Aries is the me planet the self-expression planet the like, who am I, you know, if we talked about religious leaders, Buddha would totally be Aries, right? Buddha is all about the self, know thyself, self, 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 me, me, me. Whereas Jesus is more about humanity. Jesus would have been a Pisces. So that's why we talk about Christianity as the fish. Anyways, that being said, Aries and Venus is going to be in detriment, meaning people with this combination are going to struggle in relationships because you're going to often question, should I even be in a relationship? Am I better off alone? Because you are self-oriented, right? Aries know who they are and they're super hot. They can be fiercely independent and they want their partner to also be independent. They can come in hot and heavy and they can struggle when things get boring because they're a fire sign. So they want passion and intrigue, and all that so when things aren't passionate and interesting they're going to be like aren't i better off alone i'm brock look at me you know so there's that aries worships passion and autonomy which you can see the like <laughs> the difficulty with being an autonomous person in a love planet and what they want more than anything is worship so if your partner has venus in aries you want to worship and adore them okay taurus Venus is in domicile in the sign of Taurus, which means it is being expressed exactly as it should be expressed. It's in its natural home. So it's a very, not lucrative, but compatible combination. Venus finds a cozy home in Taurus. They have a direct link to Venus or Aphrodite, the, lo- the love goddess. They're going to be someone you want to be best friends with. They love. They're They love to pamper. They love to create stability and sensuality. Like these are the people who are going to light candles and buy chocolate flavored condoms or whatever. Like these are the people who really get into the sensuality and, you know, the of love and they do well in relationships. Okay. They, unlike Aries that struggles with being alone or not, Taurus does well, a Venus and Taurus person does well in a relationship. And so they want to be in relationship things that someone with Taurus and Venus, I'm sorry, things that someone with Venus and Taurus love is love notes, gifts, lots of affection. And what they need is steadiness and predictability. All right. If your Venus is in Gemini, watch out because you want to be polyamorous. Just kidding, but not (laughs) LOL. Hashtag, just kidding. (laughs) Um, If your Venus is in Gemini, it's not going to – I'm not going to say that if your Venus is in Gemini, you're definitely a cheater, but I will say that you have no problem believing the idea that you can love more than one person at the same time. It can also mean that perhaps your your life is plagued with multiple divorces because you go through people. Not in a bad way. Like it, it's, it's sounding bad, but it's not necessarily bad. It's just that Gemini is very multi dimensional. They have a lot of interests. And so one person might not fill that love tank, right? They. If you have this position, you really need to connect with someone on a communicative level. So if your Venus is in Gemini, what's going to draw you to someone is not necessarily how they look or act, but maybe the conversations you have, deep conversations. These are the people who will text and talk at all hours, right? They they really love conversations and they're very flirtatious and very unique. And if you are in love with someone with a Venus in Gemini, just know that they need a lot of variety to stay interested and things they like might be gifts that are very unique. Like let's go do a wine tasting over here or let's go do this random thing over there. Like they have multi interests, multi hobbies. Okay. If your Venus is in cancer, cancer is a crab. They are hard on the outside and soft on the inside. So they might not appear to be all that lovey dovey or sensitive but they really are. They're true romantics. They're true, s- truly sensitive, empathic, emotional. They can drain themselves actually in relationships because they are so nurturing and giving. They love safety, cuddles, and food. Okay. If Venus is in Leo, you are the life of the party and the bell of the ball. They have a youthful enthusiasm and zest for life. They love having endless sources of attention. They love to have worshipers and admirers. They love to be in the spotlight. They're extremely generous and loyal in love, mm-hmm. and they love compliments revelry and fun if you're thinking about a good gift for someone with venus and leo it's not an object it would be an activity let's go on a trip or let's go ice skating you know they like to do things and create things and they're like i said they're super loyal super fun but they are going to be the one wanting to be worshipped in the relationship similar to an aries aries and leos have a lot in common in that respect and if it wasn't apparent my venus is in leo (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you're like, I know a lot about this.
0: I know a lot about this sign. Okay. Going into Virgo. If your Venus is in Virgo, then I hate to report that it is in its fall position. So, unlike it being in domicile and its natural home or exalted, which is in its home plus some advantages, it is at its most disadvantageous position when Venus is in Virgo. Why? Because love goes with the flow. And what does Virgo do? Virgo is calculating and research based. So it's just like, it's just not a good fit. Okay. Venus and Virgo will do anything for someone they love, but they have a hard time receiving and they have a hard time going with the flow. They have like puritanical, not necessarily religious, but like puritanical ideas of love. These are people who can wait until marriage to have sex. So they have like kind of like, I don't want to say naive, but like purist ideas about love and what love should look like. And, you know, love should do this and you should do that. And I, and like, they're the kind of person who says, I'm your wife and that's why, you know, like they have an idea of like order and stuff. So you can imagine
1: hierarchical and they have roles. Yeah. Puritanical.
0: It's the virgin Virgo is the virgin. So it's kind of, it can be, they can have a rough spot in love. And what they really value is simplicity and learning. If your Venus is in the position of Libra, very similar to Taurus, it's in domicile, meaning it's in its natural home. So again, people with Venus Libra are going to be very good in relationship. It just feels right. They don't question, should I be alone? Should I not? Like, it's just what works for them. They thrive in social interactions. They are very adaptable. They're very loving, like Taurus. They're very sensual. They're kind of like positive vibes only people, and they can be extremely flirtatious and charming. What do they love? They love beautiful things, things that are top quality, very nice, and they love harmony. Like Taurus, they're going to be the ones lighting the candles in the bedroom and bringing out the chocolates. Like you know, they're very sensual based, and they love love. All right, if Scorpio is your Venus placement then it's going to be in detriment which is to say that it's not it's in its it's not in its natural home there's going to be struggle this is because Scorpio loves to destroy things and break things down and go into the darkest depths of things and that can be really challenging for their partner if they're using love as their vehicle of transformation and death right so that can that can just put a strain on their relationship They never put a limit on love and they can be obsessive and they can also have people obsess about them. So if you have Venus and Scorpio, or you have a lot of Scorpio placements in your chart, you're going to find that your exes constantly come back to you and say, you're the one that got away, or I'm still obsessed with you after all these years, people get obsessed with Scorpio Venuses and they love it in a way because you embrace obsession. What do you love? Secrets and intensity. So what gift can you give a Scorpio? Bear your soul to them and give them your secrets. They will love it. All right. Sagittarius. If your Venus isn't Sagittarius, you are going to be playful, thought-provoking. You're going to love communication. You're ruled by the archer, which is very idealistic. So although you can be a breath of fresh air and non-pretentious, you can also be idealist to an exhausting state. You can, you can have idealism about what love looks like. You need adventure. You need a lot of freedom. So in a relationship, which you really value, not autonomy the way Aries does, because Aries is very self-centered in a way. Sagittarius values freedom simply for the idealistic quality of freedom, right? If your Venus is in Capricorn, then you're in it for the long haul, not just for the right now. You know how you have like, you have Mr. Right and Mr. Right Now. Like if they've chosen you, you are their Mr. Right. They build things with intentionality, Like they're very driven towards success and loyalty. Like I said previously, Capricorns are considered the Cinderella's of the Zodiac, like social climbers. So it's most likely possible if Venus is in Capricorn that you find a partner that can elevate your status in some way. They are incredible providers. They're thoughtful. They have a lot of trouble letting go of control though. So they're going to want to be the dominant Person in the relationship or the person calling the shots. All right, Venus and Aquarius. If you have Venus and Aquarius, you have one foot in this world and one foot in another world. Falling in love with a Venus and Aquarius can be challenging because it's like falling in love with an alien, they are totally different they like to be different. They wear their freak flag on their sleeve. Like they're happy to be different. And they're also what I would call the avoidance of the Zodiac. Like people make so many jokes and memes. If you follow astrology, meme people about Aquarius as being avoidance, because if they don't like something, they just run. Like these are the people who will ghost you. you they will just disappear and you might never know why. They're very forward thinking and future oriented. And once they set their mind on something, they stick to it. But if you piss them off, they probably won't call you out on it. They might just disappear. Things that they like are originality and big ideas. If you're thinking of a gift for someone with Venus Aquarius, it might be just accepting them for who they are or giving them gift cards so they can purchase what they want because they're going to want to make their own decision and buy the, you know, the obscure item. 100%.
1: My sister and my husband are both Venus Aquarius. And at this point, I used to like, I used to actually think that I was like a good gift giver. Like I used to think that I was like actually good at it. And then I faced my husband and I was like, I am shit. He like doesn't like anything. So now he just tells me exactly what he wants.
0: Yeah. Aquarius Venus Aquarius needs to tell you what they want or give them a gift card (laughs) because they're going to have very particular Tastes. All right. And the final sign is Venus and Pisces, which is exalted, which is to say, this is the actual best, most, you know, best in quotes, like the most exalted position, the best position, right? And why would that be? Because Pisces is the two fish. They go with the flow. Love is all about going with the flow. Venus and Pisces is a total dream boat. They are romantic, they are intuitive. They are enchantresses or enchanters. Magic is their love language. They are hopeless romantics and they go with the flow. So that is one of the great things about Pisces. Now, one thing I could say might be a bad thing about Venus and Pisces is they might easily be trauma bonded to someone because they are just so loving and go with the flow. They might just go the flow with an asshole, right? What kind of things does someone with Venus and Pisces like? poetry, pretty things, mystical stuff, buy them crystals, take them to a crystal shop. That's the kind of thing they're going to like. And this is a very fortuitous position. Yes. Sounds good. All right. Now I want to talk a little bit about houses. So basically if you don't know what your ascendant sign is, then you're not going to know where your houses are. So you can just end the episode now if you want to, but if you want to learn about your loved ones, keep going. So basically Where your Ascendant is begins the first house. So say if your Ascendant is in Sagittarius, your first house is going to be Sagittarius and then it goes off like that. And then at Pisces, it starts all over again at Aries, right? So depending on where your planets are, it has a major influence. So Each house corresponds to its natural ruler. So for example, the first house's natural ruler is Aries because it's the first sign of the Zodiac. So the first house is all about self, self self-expression. The natural ruler of the second house is Taurus. So this house is all about domestic stuff and earthy stuff and gardening and possessions. The third house's natural ruler is Gemini. So it's the house of communication and it goes on and on and on like so. Okay. So looking where your Venus is, is going to determine a lot about how you love. Okay. If Venus is in the first house, then the way you love has a lot to do with your self-identity. We could say that if Venus is in the first house, then your mantra for love is I love myself. All right. The first house is I love myself and my relationship with myself is first. The people with Venus in their first house will also sweep you off your feet. If Venus is in the second house, then you're all about surroundings. Your mantra could be, I love my surroundings. You are into things being lasting, sincere, and dependable. If your Venus is in the third house, then love has a lot to do with communications. You love compliments. You love to talk. Your language of love is most likely verbal. You can charm the pants off of people with language. If your Venus is in the fourth house, then it has your love has a lot to do with tradition and ancestors and the home. You are happiest at homes. You, when you fall in love, you're going to have to take into account the other person's family, their family history, their ancestors, culture, things like that. If Venus is in the fifth house, you love pleasure and fun, playful and creative. And that's because Leo is the natural ruler of the fifth house. If your Venus in the sixth house is the house of Virgo, so you're going to love to serve. You might even have some kinky stuff going on. And that's because Virgo with its puritanical and purest ways might actually need to express that repressed stuff in romantic relationships. If you're Venus is in the seventh house, which is the natural home of Libra. You love everybody. You're a humanitarian. Relationships in general, not just with your loved one, but like all people are very important to you. If your Venus is in the eighth house, which is the natural home of Scorpio, it is the house of death, rebirth, destruction. So these people love the forbidden. They love sweet revenge and they use the relationship to be the vehicle for their death, rebirth, transformation. If Your Venus is in the ninth house, which is the house of Sagittarius. You love knowledge. You believe wisdom is the greatest teacher. You do fine with long distance love because you're, you like that freedom, right? Freedom, autonomy, Sagittarius stuff. If your Venus is in the 10th house, it has a lot to do with success. You love power. You love success. You're going to get a prenup agreement. If your Venus is in the 11th house, then you have a, anything goes kind of attitude, also humanitarian, but, but also wanting to be different and unique. And if Venus is in the 12th house, you love to unwind. You love the mystic. You're a silent stalker. You go with the flow. You like to be vulnerable and very similar to eighth house stuff. Relationships are the vehicle for your mysticism, right?
1: Yeah. Which is so funny. I'm Venus is in my 12th house. It's my son too. And the silent stalker, I'm like, I can definitely see it in my son in some funny ways is that he'll get a crush and it will last for so long. And he will just be like constantly talking about them and like having dreams about them and everything like that. And I'm like, have I done that? And I'm like, oh, I've 100% done that as I was growing up. Like totally that like crushes that just last forever. And it's just that whole mystical thing.
0: Right. And then you being your chart ruler is Venus. It's going to be. Even more pronounced, perhaps, right? Since it's in the 12th house. And Venus is your chart ruler. So, real quick, to talk about love languages. If your Venus is in the first or seventh house, words of affirmation and quality time are often your love languages. You need a lot of reassurance. If your Venus is in the second and eighth house, then gifts, quality time, and acts of service will be your love languages. If your Venus is in the third and ninth house, words of affirmation and acts of service are going to be your language of love. And if your Venus is in the eighth or 12th house, then mysticism and shadow work are going to be the vehicle of your transformation. Love will transform you, so to speak. And so that in a nutshell, if you're new to astrology is what you need to know about your ascendant sign and your Venus. Awesome. So then hopefully all of this helps you understand yourself, helps you understand your loved one, and it'll help you understand what they need, what, what are the best gifts for them, things like that.
1: I feel like that's so practical to know the kind of gifts or to or to have it confirmed what I've always thought this whole time, which is that, like, I'm incapable, like, the best thing I can do for my husband is to let him choose his gifts.
0: Right. Well, and then my husband, for example, his Venus is in Gemini, which is communication and words. And one year I gave him the best gift ever. I gave him 52 compliments. So addressing his Aries nature, but also his Venus Gemini, I gave him 52 index cards with like a compliment or something I loved about him and put them in a box. And then his gift for the year was to open it up every week and read a compliment.
1: That's so sweet and also very clever. It's
0: very Venus Gemini, right?
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, so Anna. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. this
0: episode helped. Yeah. Hope well, we have a great
1: day. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of TSF. Would you like to do a favor for those who may be similar to you or in a same situation? Then leave us a review on iTunes because that's how people can find us. We really appreciate it and we appreciate you. And remember humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Book a free call with me at www.chriswilte.com forward slash discover.